You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. And uh, this morning we're going to get into God's Word. Are you ready for the Word of God this morning? And uh, last week it was actually kind of cool how it lined up uh, where we talked about baptism in the book of Acts and then we were able to water baptize. Today we're going to move into the chapter uh, Acts chapter 9, you can get it in your Bible, kind of keep your finger there. Uh, Acts chapter 9 is perhaps the greatest event in church history after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And it's in Acts chapter 9 that we see God at work to bring his gospel to the entire world. And the way he does that is by working in the life of a guy named Saul, who we now call Paul, the Apostle Paul, and that change happens in Acts chapter 13. But I just want to acknowledge that up front for today, I could go back and forth, but I'm probably going to mostly call Saul Paul just because that's the way I wrote it in my notes. And so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But if I say Saul, you know it's Paul. And if I say Paul and it's not where we're reading Saul, don't get confused. It's the same person. And uh, again, it's God working in the life of this individual. And Paul would become one of the most significant figures in all of world history. And in Acts chapter 9, that's where we kind of crack the story on this guy. And it's not just church historians that say that. Even uh, secular historians agree that Paul was a significant person in history. say, well, why was he so significant? What was happening in in Paul's life? Well, Acts chapter 9 captures what I'm calling a total transformation. A total transformation. And we're seeing, we're going to see, how the gospel can transform a life. Now, the writer of Acts, is, his name is Luke, and he records it in Acts, Acts chapter 9. And later, we see, even in Acts, uh, we see this story repeated when, where the, the Apostle Paul is now telling his story and relaying his story. We also see it later in Scripture, uh, really throughout the whole New Testament. This particular story is repeated many, many times. And the Apostle Paul also, uh, he, as he shares it, he shares it because it's his story. You say, well, why is it so repeated? Why is it so popular? It's the power of a personal testimony. That Paul leads with that, especially when there's total transformation. It's something worth talking about. Now, I realize I'm not under some illusion that uh, when I preach on Sundays that, uh, you know, it's, I believe it's for that day, for that week. Uh, there's spiritual food. The Bible talks about our daily bread. And, uh, and I know as we track through the book of Acts, you can pre-study or you can kind of study after the fact, and we encourage you to do that. Uh, but I'm not under this illusion that you can remember what we talked about three weeks ago or, you know, six weeks ago or nine weeks ago in the book of Acts, okay? Um, there are times if you ask me, hey, what would you talk about six weeks ago? I'm probably going to say, well, we were in the book of Acts, and, uh, and then I'd have to go back and look. But, uh, and you may forget it or, or it may not sink in, want to be one of those life messages, but my hope and my prayer is that today in particular that we would never forget 
the message for our entire lives. Now, I realize that that puts the pressure on. It's the pressure is not on me. The pressure is on the Holy Spirit and our hearts to be open to receive. But the, the, the reason is because we're talking about total transformation. And the, the key for today, the key that I want you to walk away with knowing, and not only knowing for this morning, but this week and next week and a year from now, and, and this is the key, and I want you to get it, is that no one anywhere under any circumstance is beyond the reach of the gospel. Now, as you read that, as you hear me say that, now I want us to say it together just to kind of uh, get us kind of going and thinking this way. Let's say it together. No one anywhere under any circumstance is beyond the reach of the gospel. I want you to think about the most unreachable person, the most lost, the person that's furthest from the faith that you can think of. Maybe it's a family member or a co-worker or a neighbor or a friend at school. I mean, you could think of an atheist maybe in your life that you know. Uh, Maybe someone that's addicted to drugs or someone that is maybe on the other side so self-righteous that uh, that you think "There's there's no way they'll ever get saved. Or maybe you think of the most popular student at your school and uh, you're thinking, you know, there's, they're, they're totally unreachable. Or maybe it's someone that's hardened by life, uh, a neighbor that's confused. Or, or maybe it's a friend that is so worldly, they get caught up in drinking and partying and, and things like that. Can you think of someone that from the outside, it looks like they might be unreachable? Maybe it's an outspoken person against Christianity. Maybe a professor at your, at your school or a politician or a celebrity. Or maybe you think of a serial killer. You're saying, man, someone that's killed multiple people and taken other people's lives. They, they seem unreachable, right? And in the natural, there are a lots of unreachable circumstances that could come to our minds saying there are people that are unreachable. And I want you to know that the Apostle Paul fits perfectly in this category of an unreachable person. In fact, he has three strikes against him. Number one, he was wealthy. Paul came from a, the, he was a Roman citizen, and his family had some wealth by all indications. He was sent, his family sent him to Jerusalem for schooling, which would have been very costly. He moved up within ranks within the Jewish officials. And so not only did he have money growing up, but he's probably doing well for himself. He had wealth, he had notoriety, people knew who he was. And I just want to remind you what Jesus said about someone that's wealthy, someone that's rich that it's hard for someone that's rich to make it to heaven. And Paul was in that circumstance. He had some wealth. You say, well, why is that? I I don't understand. Well, it's because people that have wealth, they may think that they're self-sufficient, that they can care for their own needs. They have the mentality, well, I can just write the check for that. Does anyone know someone that's wealthy that may seem unreachable? Well, Paul was. Well, the second thing, the second strike was that he was not only wealthy, he was also smart. He was knowledgeable. 
He had incredible education. Uh, he was trained by Gamaliel at Mars Hill. You can read about that in Scripture. Uh, he's described in Scripture as being brilliant, um, not so much on the speaking side, but when it came to his intellectual knowledge, he was first class. I mean, he's world-renowned. Uh, we revere Paul for his knowledge. And what does Jesus say about knowledge? Uh, that knowledge puffs up, right? And, uh, and, and pride can kind of sneak in. And that certainly was the case with the Apostle Paul uh, before he got saved. And you say, well, why is it hard to reach someone that has pride? Well, or that, that is smart, that is knowledgeable or is educated. It's because they can rationalize. They, their mind can kind of get in the way. Faith can be hard. Um, ju they justify things. Again, they rationalize. I was thinking about it when I was in, uh, at Evangel University. Uh, one of my professors uh, in the Bible department, uh, I can't remember his name. I couldn't think of it this morning either. I thought it might come to me. Uh, but he had Parkinson's disease, and I can see his face. But anyway, uh, I remember him. He studied and got his doctorate from Harvard uh, in the theological uh, uh, seminary there at Harvard. And there were professors that were so smart and so far from God. And in many ways, a person like that is hard to reach. They might seem unreachable. And, uh, and Paul certainly kind of fit into that category. He was wealthy. He was smart. The third thing, he was religious. Uh, Paul was a religious man, uh, and he, he moved up uh, within the ranks, within, uh, within the religious sect. You know, he was considered a Pharisee of Pharisees. Um, and when you think about that, what that really means is that he was full of good works, uh, works-oriented. On the outward, it looked like everything was just right. One commentator uh, even mentioned uh, that even in his name, Saul, uh, was Saul was the first king of Israel. And so as his parents are even giving him his name, they're saying, this kid is going to be somebody, if you can imagine. And certainly he carried that, that idea, and he was religious. Three strikes, wealth, knowledge, and religion. And you're thinking, this guy is never going to get saved. And not, you know, then to add to the mix, as we read uh, Paul's story, we see that he was angry and he was ruthless to Christians. And, uh, and I would say he was sold out to Satan and he didn't even know it. He was persecuting Christians. You say, well, what was Paul thinking in all of this? Because he came from a Jewish background. Well, Paul would have believed this to be true. He was a zealous man, but he would have thought that, okay, Jesus is dead, number one. And if that's true... Do you really expect a crucified nobody to be the promised Messiah? Put yourself in Paul's shoes. He would have thought that anyone that hung on the tree, in fact, you know, being crucified, according to the Old Testament, a person that was, that was crucified was cursed. Would God take a cursed, false prophet and make him the Messiah? Paul this is the way he would have thought. He would have thought that the disciples were the ones taking orders from Satan, not himself. And he intended to eliminate them before it destroyed the historic Jewish faith. Was Paul passionate? Let me ask you, was he passionate? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was. Was he blinded by the truth? 
Yes. But was Paul unreachable? No, he wasn't because of the truth that we're talking about this morning, that no one anywhere under any circumstance is beyond the reach of the gospel. Transformation is possible, and it happened for Paul. And when you say, well, how did it happen for Paul? Let's look at the story. And uh, in the story, there are three things that I want to discover, but let's look at it in Acts chapter 9. And uh, you're, you should be there by now. That was a long introduction. I get it. Uh, but let's look at it, starting in verse 1. It says, Saul, uh, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And that is, you know, we can read that and kind of skim over that. Uh, but if you go back, you know, he was at the stoning of Stephen. Uh, he's out to get the Christians. He was, you know, uh, righteous, you know, kind of self-righteous, saying, hey, I'm going to do this. We're going to we're going to protect people against Jesus. And so what it says, it says he went to the high priest. That was Caiaphas. That was kind of the mastermind uh, behind uh, Jesus going to trial and going to the cross. And he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who believed the way, and that's the, the believed in Jesus, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he's out there and he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm passionate about this. I want to make a difference. And he's saying, hey, uh, I'm going to get some backing from the high priest. And so he gets this letter. And it says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So, he, so they led him by the hand into Damascus. Let me just pause there. The first thing that we see uh, that, that Paul discovered was that Jesus was alive. Jesus is alive. He meets the Son of God. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he doesn't just meet him uh, in, in a, a pass by. He meets him face to face. All the glory of Jesus right there. Of course, the believers were constantly saying that Jesus was alive. The disciples were saying that. They wouldn't stop it. But Paul, he did not believe. He refused to accept their testimony. But Jesus was actually alive, and he appeared to Jesus or to Paul right there. And if Jesus was alive, then Saul had to change his mind about Jesus and his message. The, the fact that he was revealed in that moment, it changed everything for Paul. And then we see uh, that we continue in verse 9. Look what it says, what happens. It says, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. The idea that he was blinded, it's almost like, have you ever looked at the sun? Hopefully not too long. But you look at the sun or you look at a bright light and then you look away and there's still that glow uh, and uh, can you imagine that? Can you imagine what it'd be like to see Jesus face to face? 
and, and it took three days. He's blinded, and, uh, and he didn't eat, he didn't drink. And in that, in that moment, in those moments, Paul discovered not only was Jesus alive, but in that moment, he realized that he was lost. Paul was lost. He was blinded. He was in the dark, so to speak. And because of that, as if that was being revealed to him, he realized that he needed to repent. Some, uh, some commentators believe that he gave his heart to the Lord right then. That was his salvation moment. I tend to believe that. There are others that say, well, it wasn't until Ananias laid his hand on him, which we're going to see in a second. But let's just believe together. He was lost, and now he's found. He's given his heart to Jesus. Keep your uh, finger there in Acts chapter 9, and turn with me, if you can, to 1 Timothy 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is later in Paul's life. He's writing to Timothy, and he says this. He says, uh, here's a trustworthy saying uh, that deserves full acceptance. It says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners whom I am the worst. And he realized that at that moment. Before that, he was self-justified. He was full of himself. He was a typical Pharisee, where he would have looked down on others. He was a guy that followed all the rules. But at this moment, back in Acts chapter 9, he realizes his lostness. And it's taken his, his sight. And not only has it taken his sight, he's realizing his darkness in his life. Turn with me again uh, back uh, to, not to uh, Acts yet, but to Philippians chapter 3. Again, Paul is writing to the Philippians at this point. He's writing uh, to the church. And look what it says, and starting in verse 3. So chapter 3, verse 3. It says, For it is, who, for it is we who are, of, are of the circumcision, we who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. And so what I'm trying to paint here is this picture of that he was a good guy um, from the Jewish perspective. And look how it goes on. It says, If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh or the outward things, he says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal or passion, persecuting the church, as for the righteousness based on the law, he says, I was faultless. He was following the law perfectly, essentially. But, verse 7, whatever gains, this is the moment on the Damascus Road that he's realizing Whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, and uh, for whose sake I have lost all things. And then I love this little phrase. You might want to underline it. It's underlined in my Bible. It says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. That word garbage, I was talking with Pastor Bobby, which, by the way, he's on vacation in Florida. He'll be back next week. And Ben, thanks for leading the team and doing a great job today. Uh, but listen, uh, what that word garbage means, it's, it's the word for uh, poop or for dung or uh, in the vernacular, our vernacular, maybe the most you know, edgy thing I could say is crap. I don't know. Uh, but I consider it all 
garbage. Let's just say that. That's what it says in the NIV, right? And, and all of Paul's goodness, all of his good works, all of his self-righteousness, everything legalistic uh, that could be listed were all like filthy rags. And it was in that moment on the road to Damascus that he's He's in darkness. He says, man, I thought I was in the light, and now I'm in darkness. And it's interesting that the presence of God does that, doesn't it? When you step into the presence of God, you see the glory of God, maybe not face to face, but you sense his presence. How many know that our sins are revealed? And it's like, okay, I am a sinner. I need the Lord. It's like looking in the sun. He's saying, man, I need Jesus. And Paul thought he was serving God, but actually he was persecuting Jesus, the Messiah. And it led him to three days of prayer and fasting. And that leads us to the third thing that he discovered. Not only did he discover that Jesus was alive, he discovered his lostness, but Paul also discovered his purpose for living in that moment. And that's the theme of chapters 6 through 10, uh, finding the purpose. But let's read it, Acts chapter 9. Uh, back in Acts chapter 9, hopefully your finger was still there. Verse 10, it says, In Damascus there was a disciple, so kind of at the same time, named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas. That's not Judas Iscariot. That's just another Judas on Straight Street. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. <laughs> he was praying and fasting. He's blinded. He's, he's, he is, his world has been turned upside down. It says, In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And I was reading that, and if you're hearing that, and you're Ananias, you're saying, wait, that's me, right? And then it says, Lord, Ananias says, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all those who call on your name. And if, you're, if he's saying that, he's saying, wait, that's me. And so Saul is coming for me, and you want me to go. But the Lord says to Ananias, verse 15, Go, this man is chosen, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the, Gentile, uh, to, to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. Then Ananias uh, went to the house and entered it, placed his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, <laughs> the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes that, so that he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. It was in that moment that the Lord revealed his purpose. He laid it right out and through Ananias. And Ananias was the instrument to kind of bring that news. The key there is in verse 15. I want to go back to that. It says, go, let this man know that he is my chosen instrument to proclaim the name of the Gentiles uh, to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. Hold your place there and just flip a couple pages over. Acts chapter 26 
uh, we see the same story. Now it's Paul telling about this story. We'll start in verse 12, and then the key is in verse 16. It says, on uh, one of those journeys, so Paul's telling his story. I was going to Damascus with authority and commission by the chief priest. About noon, King Agrippa, uh, as I was on the road, uh, he's, so he's talking to King Agrippa. He says, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Then I asked, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Sound familiar? And he's repeating the story. Verse 16, and then look how Jesus, in this case, is revealing to him on the road to Damascus, in this story, his purpose. He says, now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Verse 17, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of the sins and place among them or among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He lays out the purpose for Paul's life in that moment. He's the Hebrew of Hebrews. Now he's going to the Gentiles. And that's a crazy mix-up, very different from Peter's story. It's the persecutor now is going to be the preacher of the gospel. I don't know if you know the verse, Ephesians 2.10, but in Ephesians 2.10 it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God created in advance to do. That's Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. He's saying, look, you have been created, and I want to declare that to everyone here. And within that, there were some points in Acts chapter 9 that with that purpose, Paul needed to be prepared, and Ananias was sent there to prepare him. Verse 17, uh, it says that he was sent to not only so he could see again, but so that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a second work of the Holy Spirit. I believe on the, at the, at the, on the road to Damascus, he received Christ. He accepted Christ, and, he, and uh, his sins were forgiven at that moment. But later, Ananias came three days later so he could lay his hands on him so that he could receive the power, the infilling, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say that when we consider the purpose of God in our lives, when, he, when you consider what God's plan is for you, what He has called you to do, what He's equipped, listen, the baptism, the filling of the Holy Spirit should not be an option. It should be something that you are seeking after and asking God for. And, uh, and, we, and we could preach a whole another message, and we have preached in this uh, in this book of Acts already. But he said that you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. The second thing is that we see that part of his fulfilling his purpose was being obedient to Christ. Verse 19 says, in taking some food, or I'm sorry, verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from his eyes so he could see again. He got up, and what did he do? He was baptized. And so he's following the Lord. It's a complete 180 and I want to just say, if you have, have received Christ and have not been water baptized, May 20th, you've got an opportunity. 
It's an important part in your walk with the Lord. It doesn't save you. Again, he's already saved, but he gets up and he says, you know what? I'm going public with this. I'm not hiding it anymore. I mean, he's been hiding it for three days, but he, he starts to live out his purpose, but he's filled with the Spirit and he's baptized. And so now we see as Paul is living out his mission. Let's finish the story there in Acts chapter 9, starting verse 20. From verse 20 to verse 25, uh, historians, uh, theologians believe that there's about a three-year period of time here, and where that all hits is um, up for debate. But just to, let's read it and kind of understand that. It says, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem amongst those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take, in them, to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Verse 22, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that, the, that Jesus is the Messiah. And you say, oh, how did he know that? Well, he had seen him, and he's alive, and he realized his darkness, and now he's living out his purpose. He's sharing the good news. Verse 23, uh, after many days had gone by, so that might be where the three years come, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. And Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through the open wall, uh, or open, uh, uh, open door in the wall. Can you imagine being lowered in a basket, right? And when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, and underline Barnabas, because we're going to talk more about him later. What a special man. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord. Again, he's repeating the story, and we're going to see how all this uh, puts, is put together. And so he repeats the story, his journey, as he had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic, Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And then verse 31, after they send Paul off, it says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria enjoyed a time of peace, and they were strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord uh, and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. And so I want you to see that the church is still growing at this point. And there's still people coming to faith. And I would say all the way till today, there are still, the church of God is still growing. But what I want you to see mostly is that Paul is living out his purpose. The chief of sinners is now saved and finds his purpose. You think about the contrast of who Paul was and now who he is. Paul steps into his purpose and he gets busy sharing the good news. And part of his presentation, this is important, is that he shares his story. In fact, he shares it from many different angles as the book of Acts goes on. 
and as uh, other books of the Bible. Depending on who he was sharing with, it depended on what parts of the story he was sharing. And we see his story in Galatians and in Ephesians and in Philippians and Colossians, 1 Timothy, Romans, 2 Corinthians. And this was just my personal study. And in all of these cases, he's sharing his story and again, uh, uh, what we believe is, is that what the story is, is look, I didn't believe that Jesus was alive, but I have now encountered Jesus. I've encountered Jesus. I've met Jesus. He is alive. That's Paul's story. And then he realizes his lostness without him. He's saying, all my good deeds, it's all filthy rags. All the things that I could list and that he does, he's saying all of it is rubbish. It's garbage, right? And then he steps into his purpose and as he's sharing his story. And what I want you to know is that you can have the same experience. Paul's story is not unique just to Paul. It's your story that you once were in darkness, but Jesus reveals himself. He's alive. He reveals through the foolishness of preaching, of course, but through the Word of God primarily. The Word of God comes alive. We say the light bulbs come on. We realize our lostness, and then we can step into our purpose as well. Paul's story is not unique. And the key here is that no one anywhere under any circumstances beyond the reach of the gospel. Jesus took a blasphemer, a prosecutor, not a prosecutor, a persecutor, <laughs> a murderer, and transformed him. He did what no one thought was possible. Can a person be transformed? Absolutely. Anyone, under any circumstances, can be reached with the gospel. And once that transformation begins, your story in your life, your story, your purpose begins at that moment. And, uh, and, and it needs to be shared, just like Paul shared his. You know, I was thinking about my story a little bit, and I shared some yet, uh, last Sunday about when I was age nine is when I accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. And uh, many of you have heard this story anyway, and for the few of you that were here, um, you know, you, you'll get a... a kind of overlap, but I gave my heart to the Lord. My grandma was over, and I was kind of asking the question, how do you know for sure? You know, how many have ever been there? You're like, man, how do you know? You know, like, all right, I think I, you know, how do you know? And my grandma said, go get the Word of God, right? So I go get my Bible, and uh, we go through the Roman road for salvation. I'm age nine. Uh, she leads me in a sinner's prayer, and then she does something brilliant. She says, go get a pen, and we're going to write in your Bible. And I've got that Bible. It's at my house. And I said, I, Benji, they, <laughs> that's what was my name, uh, commit my heart to the Lord. It was November 12, 1985. And that's a moment I can look back. And, and I know some of you don't have a date when you got saved, and that's okay. And, uh, but you do need to have a conversion story. We talked about that last Sunday. 
Um, but, but then, like, really from that point on, you know, my life, you know, as a kid, you know, I kind of sowed my wild oats in fifth and sixth grade. They were my roughest years in my adolescence. And, um, and really, uh, I was pretty protected and really had kind of a good uh, upbringing. And uh, I remember actually one point telling my grandma later, we were driving to the lake, and I, I remember trying to convince my grandma that I needed a testimony. Uh, that, and I, I remember telling her, Grandma, I need to drink and smoke, otherwise how is God ever going to use me, right? And, uh, and she lovingly said, no, your testimony, keeping clear of those things, that's the best testimony. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, thank you. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but what I was realizing this week, I'm saying, okay, my story was different from Paul's story. But the point that's the same is that until Paul took his last breath, the transformation didn't stop. There was a transformation from that moment on the Damascus Road, and it continued until he took his last breath. And I was thinking, you know what? God is still transforming me. When I moved into my 20s, uh, or well, let me start in my teens, late in my teens, I decided to get married when I was 19. And uh, Matt, we can do it, right? Well, you were 19 too, right? 18. You are crazy, man. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and I love it. And uh, anyway, we, you know, when I was thinking about it, you know, if I didn't have God in my life, and Jessica and I, would, we would both say this, and she's going to be here second service, she can uh, uh, affirm this. Uh, we, we look at the first couple years of our marriage. If it wasn't for Jesus holding us together, we would have been divorced. There's no question. We would have walked away. And, and I remember thinking and even maybe saying, I think we made a mistake. But God did a work, and we ended up in our first position. And, and our, our pastor sent us to counseling and was the best thing that could have ever happened. But I think about it. Without Christ, see, God is still transforming me. It was in my early 20s that uh, I started, uh, that kind of the Internet came alive. And I've shared this story in different pieces, but um, uh, there was things that I had never seen or never experienced. And all of a sudden, it became kind of a grip in my life. And, and I'm thankful that God just wasn't like, hey, you're, you're done. You know, you're, you're good to go. No, he was transforming me in my 20s and in my 30s. And now that we're raising kids and uh, in my 30s and into my 40s now, God is uh, still transforming me. He's still helping me. My story is that God is right there with me. And my story, really, and I got in my notes, is without Christ, I think I would be dead. And, uh, and I know some of you have a similar story. And you say, well, you know, could it be that God wants to use even my story that started off really, really clean and kind of uh, clean cut, but then there were some things along the way, and even in my marriage, or even as I'm raising kids, or as I'm doing these things, could it be that God would use my story to reach the unreachable? I think it's possible. And the same is possible in your story. Whatever the story is. See, our stories can affect the unreachable. That's what's been burning inside of my heart. That God can change a person's life. Someone like Nicky Cruz, some of you know his story, a gang member that gives his heart to the Lord. 
or Billy Sunday. I mean, a drunken, uh, just bad-mouthed uh, baseball player that gets saved, leaves the, the Major League Baseball, and becomes an evangelist. Or someone like C.S. Lewis, an intellectual brain that was an atheist. God got a hold of his life. God can save absolutely anyone. And along those ways, none of us are saved on our own. There's always someone. Now I'm going back to last week's message. There's always someone, a messenger in the mix. And could it be that we are the messenger? Absolutely. Because no one anywhere under any circumstance is beyond the reach of the gospel. And God has got a great plan for those that seem that are so lost or those that are flirting with the edge. He wants to bring them back or those that you've written off. God wants to use your story, whatever that is, to make a difference. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful that you don't just leave us high and dry. But God, you're constantly pursuing us according to Scripture. Lord, you reveal yourself through a messenger, through your word. Now I'm preaching last week's message again. And Lord, I pray that you just give us, uh, give us great faith to believe. And Lord, I'm praying that if there's anyone here today that is lost, I pray that the light of your word would reveal and that we would understand that you are alive and we'd realize that we are lost without you. And God, I pray also, Lord, today that you would help us to share about our faith, to share our story, to make a difference. Lord, we need that kind of transformation to be multiplied a hundred times over on the lakeshore and in our families, and in our schools, and Lord, in our workplaces. Lord, I pray that you would just capture our hearts in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that you keep your head bowed and eyes closed, and just kind of a moment to kind of search your heart. If you're here this morning, and you are feeling like you've gone too far, or that you, you can never come back to the Lord. I just want to remind you, as you're with your head bowed and eyes closed, that Paul was a violent persecutor, a murderer, and the Lord met him. I just want to declare, and I believe this is a word from the Lord, that there's nothing that you have done that would keep you from being reached with the gospel. And the sense that I have today as I share that is that there will be some that will be here that are saying, boy, I felt like I've gone too far. But I want you to know right here, right now, the Holy Spirit is drawing you and we are encouraging you to say yes to Him, to accept Him as your Savior to realize, yes, he's alive, to realize your lostness. And if you're saying, boy, that's where, exactly where I am, 
I need salvation. I need Jesus to save me. I want you just to lift your hand right where you are. And I want to pray with you. Yep. Anyone at all this morning? Just want you to take that bold step and say, yes, that's me. I need Jesus to save me. getting our point back here in the back. I don't, oh yes, got it. Yep. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Yeah. For the sake of the one, just bear with me just for a moment. And if you just be praying that the Lord's working here. The Bible is super clear that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible also says that Jesus who is the Messiah, he was crucified, nailed to a tree. The blood from his body that flowed, it pays for our sin. It covers our sin. He makes us clean. He makes us whole when we receive him. And for the one that raised their hand and maybe others that that didn't have the courage to do it, I want to just lead us in a sinner's prayer, kind of like my grandma did for me. And, uh, and it, when we say, say this, it's not the words that save us. It's believing in our heart. And so would you do that with me all together? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father please, forgive me please forgive me for all my sins. All my sins. I, believe in you, I believe in you that you died, that you died but you're living, but you're living today. today. Come into my heart. Into my heart. Make my heart clean. Take away my sin. I want to put my faith in you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. And we rejoice with the angels in heaven when even just one turns their heart or comes back to the Lord. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. Awesome. I want you to stand with me. And Reagan, if you could come here just for a second. I wanted to close in a little unique way. Because we want all of us to step into our purpose. Step into the purpose. So the lights come on, we realize our darkness, we accept Christ, and then we step in to our purpose. And there were two keys in Paul's experience that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and then he was baptized. And then when, after those two things, he began to share his story. He shared the faith. He kept it moving on. I mean, to the point that they were wanting to kill him, just kind of the flip of what had happened to him earlier, where he was trying to kill Christians. And what's, there was an intensity in Paul's life, an urgency to share the faith, to make his story known, to the point that even secular historians know about Paul. And my question is, are you sharing your faith? You say, man, I don't know what to share. My story, I don't have a story like Paul's, right? That's kind of what I was feeling this week. Like, ah, you know, my, my testimony, kind of going back to in the car with my grandma. Listen, you have a testimony. You have a story that's worth sharing. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to close with this idea 
Let's put it up there one more time that no one anywhere under any circumstance is out of reach of the gospel. And God wants to use you to share your story. And so this is what we're going to do. And I I understand that this freaks some out, but uh, just bear with us. I promise it's not going to hurt too bad. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to get groups of two. And if you have to do a group of three, that's okay. But if you've got a group of four, you might as well be two groups of two. And what I'd like you to do, we've got just a couple minutes here, and and Reagan's going to play. I'd like you to share your story of faith. Take 30 seconds, take a minute to share your story. And then we're going to come back, we'll pray. I'll give you two minutes, all right? So just partner up, husbands, wives, that's okay, or you can split up, but it's going to cause some movement. And I know some of you, lock the doors, don't let anybody leave. Just kidding. But uh, let's just do it, all right? And so just turn and just greet someone, introduce yourself, say, hey, my name is Ben, this is my story. Hallelujah. 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 All right, if you're not sharing, I want you to say this after me. Repeat after me. Say, no one anywhere under any circumstance is beyond the reach of the gospel. God, we pray that you would use us. And Lord, help us to never forget this truth. And now I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. Continue sharing. Uh, Continue as the Lord leads you. Otherwise, go in the grace of God and share your story. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.